have our, our Bible reading now, John, uh, Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 to 3.10. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You held me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, into the current swirled about me. All the waves uh, and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim the message I give to you. Jonah obeyed the word from the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When, Jonah, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let the people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that they did and how they turned away from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Thanks, Michelle. Why don't we pray to uh, ask God to help us understand this uh, fascinating story, isn't it? Just on the surface, it's just such an intriguing story. So let's, let's ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for Jonah, the book of Jonah. And we're, we're challenged by seeing your character on display and Jonah as he wrestles and really struggles with it. Help us to see your heart, examine our own, and to live for you. Amen. Well, I want to ask you, what do you love? I want to ask you, what, what are some of the things that you love? First of all, you can tell, yell them out to me. What things do you like? They can be unimportant, they can be big. 
The first time I did these talks down at South Coast, I asked Jack on the way down, Jack Page, and he just said food. I hardly finished the sentence. He said food. Yell out, what, what, what do you love? Hugs. Nice one. Lorikeets, birds. Excellent. What else? Sorry? Excellent. God, good answer. Talk done. We're ready to get excellent work. What else? You've got lots of things that you're not yelling out right now, haven't you? You see, well, lots of things we love. I've got, t- I've got TV, I've got coffee, I've got golf, I've got Star Wars, I've got Star Wars, and I've got lots of things that I love. How do you know what you love? How do you know you love those things? How do you know I love those things? What? It's in your heart. And it's not just, it doesn't even just stay in your heart, it's how you express it, isn't it? I don't love coffee by never drinking it. I don't love golf by never playing it. I don't love Star Wars by only watching it like a hundred times. You like things, you express it, you love it. You do it in a way that is appropriate. Now, those things are all trivial, but when I get to Jen, who I love more than anything else in this world, I can't love her and then, not ex- and then express that by never talking to her or ignoring her or not wanting to do the best for her. You know what you love by how you express it, how you respond. That's where we see the heart exposed. How do we know the heart of God and do we love it? See, I think we know the heart of God and we know we love it when we respond in a particular way. And I think that's what we've seen in Jonah. As Peter gave the overview last week of the compassionate heart of God, what we're seeing in Jonah is God's heart. We're seeing God's heart. And I want us this week and next week to see that again, the same thing, kind of slightly from two different angles really, as as we look at God's heart, what really drives him and he's passionate about. And as we do that, we're thrown into needing to be concerned about our heart. We've got God's heart and our heart that we need to examine in light of that. It'd be helpful to have Jonah... um, open as, as we go through, I reckon, uh, and the outline on page six, if that's helpful for you as well. You see, as, as we think about God's heart, and, and, and Peter did mention last week that this compassion is the overriding theme, all the way in um, Jonah chapter four, verse two, which we'll get to finally next week, is we see the theme of Jonah and God's heart revealed. And it's ironic because Jonah's saying that in a bitter way because he sees God actually do it when he finally gets to Nineveh. And Jonah says in an angry way, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He says that in a way that, well, he's bitter about. And we're going to unpack this today by seeing God's heart for salvation. That is what God's heart is. See, God's heart is kind, not full of hate. 
It's gracious, not vengeful. It's compassionate, not cruel. How does this heart express itself to humanity? Well, God's gracious heart wants to save. We saw that last in, in chapter 1 in, with the sailors. He saved the sailors. We see in Jonah, Jonah gets saved into the, into the fish. He kind of gets saved twice. He's just saved into the boat and then he's in the fish and it's looking to spare and then he gets saved again. And then chapter 2, Jonah gets saved. Chapter 3, a city is saved in the Ninevites. We see this pattern play out over and over again in Jonah. And we need to consider what's this saying about God. So if you have a look at Jonah chapter 2, Jonah has a problem. Jonah has a problem. He needs rescuing. He needs salvation. And he wants to reject what God has done. We see in chapter 3, which we get to, he doesn't get God's grace and he, he, he doesn't understand it properly, but he has this problem of needing to be saved. And things, as we saw with the kids, are a bit better this time with Jonah. See, from inside the fish in verse 1, what does Jonah do? It's pretty hard to run away when you're in a fish, but he prayed instead of running away. He prayed to the Lord his God. He called out to God and God answered him. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. See, it looks like, as we saw with the kids, on one level, Jonah has repented in the sense he's turned back and he's now going to go on to do what God wants. On that level, he has repented. It looks like he gets it and we should respond like that and see what Jonah has done. But when we look into his heart, there is a problem. But here Jonah is in the depths. And in the depths, he describes what God has done in verse 3. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. It's kind of as we're talking about winds and waves and all the things that are going on with Jonah. He's in the fish and I feel like we're in the belly here. All right. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. He's in the ocean, no hope, chaos of water. He's at the point of death. He says in verse 4, I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. He's at the point of death. The engulfing waters in verse 5 are threatening him. The deep surrounds him. He, the seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. See, where God... Uh, the earth beneath barred me in forever, he says. Where God brings life out of death is what we see take place next. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. 
He's in the waters, in the pit, and God rescues him. Did you see last year that footage? I don't know if you remember um, Mick Fanning, the surfer, and the shark. That was just mental. Like, he's in the water, and there's a shark. He's, you see the footage, if you didn't see the footage, uh, one of the greatest surfers of the modern era is in the water, and the shark's there, and you see the fin, and you think, he's gone. There's no way he's getting out of this. He is a goner. And as if Mick Fanning wasn't cool enough, world champion surf and everything, just punches the shark in the head, the shark goes away and he survives. That's ridiculous. But at the point of death, he survived. Not even Mick Fanning in the water could save Jonah. He is in the pit. And when you're in the pit, you can't get yourself out. There's no ladder for him to get out of. He needs someone to pull him out. God reaches in to pull him out. Jonah acknowledges what God has done. He says it very clearly in verse 9 with simple words that are really important, I think, to the book of Jonah and what we're looking at today. He just says, In the belly of the fish, salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. No one else can do it. Jonah is not going to rescue himself from this point. How rancid would he be? No one else could do it. And so, verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It was salvation by regurgitation. God is the one who saved him. And as we turn to chapter 3, and we see this pattern play out again. We see this pattern play out again in, in uh, God's dealing with the Ninevites. You see, God's saving a whole people from calamity. And when Jonah finally gets there with all his troubles and all his issues, the word finally comes, and the word is a word of judgment. We saw it with the little Minecraft video. Verse 4, chapter 3, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. What a happy, joyful message to get. The picture of that is just... Uh, he's gone in to a nation, and if you're not aware of what Nineveh's like, think as wicked as you possibly can, and you're hitting the nail on the head. Nineveh were despicable pillagers of people, destroyers of cities. And yet Nineveh responds with what seems, you can only say, genuine repentance. They respond with repentance. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. There's no discussion of, well, why should we do that or what should happen? It's just this blatant, you're going to be destroyed by God, Okay, we will believe in God. It's purposely stark. It's purposely supposed to grate up against us to show how God does it all and how repentance is just turning back. It's an amazing saga that takes place, how they turn back to God. 
They fast. And as the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He issues a proclamation and tells everyone, we are going to repent. And they go through all these things that they're going to do, not eating and drinking, covering in sackcloth, um, calling urgently on, on God, giving up their evil ways and their violence. Giving up their violence is like me giving up coffee and golf. Like it's ridiculous for them. That's what, that was their bread and butter. And here they are. They do this not to earn God's favour because they know they're wicked. They do it knowing, well, all we can do is hope that God will relent. Verse 9, God may relent. And with compassion, the theme that we've been driving through, Jonah turned from his fierce anger. And so that's what God does. Verse 10, God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. God's salvation to a city of wicked people. The terrorists of their time. These are people that will be destroyed. But here they've repented. Here we see a right response to God's word, whatever it is. Turn to God. Okay, we turn to God. That, in the most basic of nutshells, is what repentance is about. Knowing you haven't been going God's way and realizing, I need to, and turning back to Him. Now, basically, that's what Jonah did in chapter 2, despite all his issues. But this saving of Jonah, this saving of Nineveh, goes beyond the book itself, doesn't it? You see, we know in verse 17, chapter 1, verse 17, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is significant. And it's even more significant when we see that Jonah's kind of death and resurrection moment points to a greater one the death and resurrection of Jesus. And there's no, no uh, jumping that needs to be done or gymnastics because Jesus brings up Jonah himself and points to it. When people want signs, the wicked generations that were all around uh, in Jonah's time and the Ninevites, the wicked generation around Jesus, the leaders who are wanting signs, and Jesus brings up Jonah. Look at what he has to say in Matthew 12 on the screen. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be, there, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus goes down into the depths, surrounded on all sides. And he comes up out of the pit. It's a magnificent picture. Verse 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. 
God's great act of salvation is Jesus in the belly of the earth. Not to be vomited by a fish, fish, but by conquering the grave. Jonah himself wasn't great. His kind of death and resurrection was. But the great, the real lasting salvation is he. In Jesus. You see, the gracious and compassionate heart of God sees him send his son into the depths of despair in our place. And his greatness is displayed for all to see as he conquers this. You see, God doesn't just like the idea of saving. His heart has driven him to get down and dirty and do it himself. He doesn't just say he He loves us. Do you ever have those moments where you feel like when you hear God loves me, you feel like it's a Hallmark card moment? As if God's just kind of, yeah, I know God loves me, but where is it? I don't feel it. It's not here. It's just like a platitude on a card. Do you ever have those moments? It's at those moments when we remember that Jesus went into the belly of the earth for you. And it's no longer a platitude on a card. It's something to grab hold of. His shadow Jonah had the words of salvation, but despised them. God's gracious heart wants to save you, all of us here, as all the nations. And that will be a really important thing we see next week as we think about God's desire for all people. So, if that's God's heart, and I hope you see that today, His heart for saving people. We need to examine our heart. If He's gone into the depths for us, we need to see God's saving heart with clarity so we can examine our own. His salvation offered to us requires us to respond. Jesus sums up all of this um, many times in different ways. And in Luke 24, it beautifully points to a few things that were in Jonah. Luke 24, at the end of that story of Jesus' life, we see Jesus summarize what everything's about. And he says in verse 44 on the screen, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. This salvation, the saving God we see in Jonah... We see Jesus saying, brings forgiveness to all. What we remembered when we we shared in communion together. God forgives us at the cross. And so, our response today, all of us here, is to turn back to God. Whether that's the first time where you decide you need to live for Him and trust in Him. And you become a Christian. Or whether it's your life of continuing to say, God... I know you've saved me. I know you've forgiven me. I need to keep on remembering and turning back to your ways. 
because he suffered and rose again in three days. It was for you to turn back to God. And so the question is, is that what you want? Maybe even more important question, is that what you need? Are you in a metaphorical fish right now? Is your life surrounded in the depths and you need to decide, do I need Jesus? I want to encourage you to really think about that. Because his heart is desperate to save you. And I think as we get near to closing, I think we see, I think we see, we can learn from the story of Jonah and what this repentance look like, looks like. You see, even back with the sailors that we saw last week, which we won't go into now, is that he saved them. And what they did is they offered sacrifices and made vows to God. Now they're sacrifices. We don't know much about them and what their vows were all about. But it was an, there's the point of they were turning to God because of a rescue. But we don't make the sacrifice, do we? The Christ will suffer. So we don't think that in turning back to God, we're earning our place with God because he does it all for us. And we need to learn from Jonah even more so because repentance cannot include self-righteous indignation. And we'll see more and more of that next week. We'll see more and more of his dislike for others to be saved. I wonder, even in his repentance in turning in the fish, whether he has this me focus and he turns and kind of points out to the idolatry of others, even in that story. We can't know that God saves with compassion and grace and hate it for others. We need to do that basic thing that Jonah did and turn and do what God says but with a heart that will, of his that will get exposed even more so next week with the great joy of seeing God's grace and compassion to save. He prefers to die, Jonah, twice in the story. Our heart should prefer to live with God. And in contrast, we learn from the Ninevites, they display a genuine turning to God, at least for a moment in time. They were not great. I've already mentioned that. They go out, they destroy Israel. Babylon wipes them out. They are wicked. But Jesus talks of these Ninevites as the ones standing condemning because they turned back to God. You see what they did and you get a snapshot into your heart and your attitude what it should be, genuine wanting to turn back to God. That's like why when we have communion, we don't just eat the bread and drink and say we remember Jesus died for us. We remember that we need him because of our sin. See, what real repentance looks like, what real repentance looks like is knowledge about God, calling out to the God, depending upon his sacrifice in Jesus, doing what God says with a bitter heart? No, not with a bitter heart, with joy. Not turning back to him for a period of your life and then at the end going, I did it between years 2016 to 2023. I know it's 2000 and 
40 now, but I had that period where I was turning back to you. We live for God. By his character. By his sacrifice. That's why we read Psalm 51 earlier today. Because in Psalm 51, we get a snapshot of what repentance looks like in a little bit more detail. See, in Psalm 51, if you go back and read it, what we actually read was that David, a broken man, saw his sin. Jonah didn't. Well, he did for a moment, but his greater problems to come. We see that if you're repentant, you're sorrowful. That is, you regret what happens, not over the consequences and how it affects you, but real sorrow is because it grieves God. Jonah's grieving God's grace. See, there's no room for self-pity. Being tempted to think that repentance just kind of stops at being sorrowful. It involves confession. It involves acknowledging that we, 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 we don't um, uh, shift the blame. I wonder, when was the last time you made an apology to someone without a qualifier. I'm really, really sorry I did that. But did you know that this was happening for me and under these circumstances, and I'm sorry, but it wasn't that fault. Or have you, I think back so often, even when I'm genuinely, truly sorry, I'll throw in a little qualifier, but there was this situation. Do you do that? There is a sense of right shame with Repentance. Not to go into a spiral of guilt and to self-loathing, but to acknowledge that we need to change. There's a hatred of sin, of rejecting God's ways, and to turn from that, to forsake that, and to follow the ways he wants. That's what repentance looks like, and that only happens when we see Jesus and trust in him dealing with it for us. I want to finish with just one question. It's whether you want to have repentance today or not in your life. So the question is, is a repentant heart your response to God's gracious salvation? In Jonah, we're challenged to see God's heart. His desire to save. And we're challenged to expose our own hearts and to ask the question, do I want to turn to Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in him we have life not what we have done. And as we see your desire to save us, and only you alone can save us, our response is to repent. We see the enigma that is Jonah, and we'll continue to do that next week, and we we ask, Lord, that we'll truly turn to you, not to earn your favour, but in response to your grace. We need to do that for the first time today, Lord. We thank you that we can do that.
trusting in what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.